Right, I'm recording mine. Same. Hello, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to To Be a Terrier, Stephen Chickenhead, joined down the line by a very childish David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Uh, very childish mood. Very childish mood. Good. I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of pep in your step you only get from two successive nil-nil draws. Um, we'll start with Preston. I was quite a lot higher on this performance than, than a lot of fans seem to be. But we talked about this afterwards, and I think uh, we need to acknowledge that I can, if I have, if I have a fault, if I have a fault, is that I think I can be quite easily swayed by a good defensive performance and momentarily overlook the fact that they really did very little in attack in that game. Yeah, if anything, my strengths are I work too hard and sometimes I work too well in a team and mm. I lead people too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it, I thought I thought it was good. I thought what you suffered was we've had this conversation off air, so I'm going to have it on air to defend you slightly here. I think with a nil-nil more than any other game, I think the impression you can get in ground can be very, very different from the impression you get watching it on TV because you see you see the bigger picture. So one of the players we discussed was Harry Toffolo, which you thought he had a pretty good game because you could see him stepping out of defence an awful lot more and trying to break the lines and trying to be between him and O'Brien, trying to be the ones to relieve the pressure by carrying it a bit. It just doesn't come over on TV in the same way, that sort of thing. So I, I've done it myself, Steve. I've been much higher on games than, than other people because... I think it's something I noticed and I was aware of during lockdown. We often had quite a different impression mm. to the games we were watching in ground to to other people who were watching them via iFollow, etc. So I kind of get it to defend you. Yeah, I think I was still went too high on Toffolo. I gave him an 8. Definitely shouldn't have been an 8. And I probably should have given Tanani a 3, really, to be honest, rather than a 4. But there you go. We never get the ratings right. Uh, <laughs> people know my thoughts on them. I think they're a bit, bit of a daft concept in general. But there you go. Um doesn't stop us banging on about them all the time Um, (laughs) but no I mean the other thing that sort of played into that is all the research I did on Preston I know they're a mid-table side but they're they're in such a good moment since since Ryan Lowe came in you know they're doing really well they've only lost once under him uh, and they've got some really really good attacking players Uh, you know I've always been every time I've seen Emil Reese play he seems to be a dangerous player he was carrying a knock so he only came off the bench in this game uh, and that Cameron Archery they've got on loan from Aston Villa looks a right handful. I mean, he's he's scored again at the weekend, and if you go and look at the goal he scored, it's an absolute peach. Uh, and he gave uh, you 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 messaged me saying Matty Pearson's you know having a bit of a nightmare here, but I thought he did just enough to keep Archer uh, under control, but only just enough. He was he was a real real handful. So with with that kind of background for for Preston and their recent results over the past few months uh and the fact I mean I don't particularly read into much into the town's historic record there um but you know for some people that that might come across as a factor um and just the fact it's an away game I thought a nil nil was a very very good result at Preston uh, yeah heart tricking Pearson shocker um I I think 
I think that Cameron Archer is a really, really good player, and I think what happened there is eventually Pearson got the measure of him. Um, yeah. I think he was first half. There was a couple of times he was a little bit rabbit caught in the headlights. I think Archer's going to be a very good player at some point. Yeah. But yeah, like I mentioned this when we did the Facebook Live yesterday, Stephen. I don't know how many people see that, so forgive me if I'm repeating a point to lots of people. But I think at this point in the season, you can look at. We can now look at groups of games in different ways and you can look at how town should be tracking and i think rather than just always saying sort of four to five points every three games i think you need to look at preston as in that's now four points off preston this season last season they took one season before nothing and that is measurable progress and Preston are always going to be like a really tough side to break down they're going to be a really big physical challenge and town stood up to that and I think we have to mention because of other things we're going to talk about in this podcast they massively got away with a couple of things as well um Mm. the Tom Lee's handball in the first half please note this is not me saying I agree with it but that was a handball. That should have been a penalty. It's yeah. the the way the law is being changed and has been worded. Intent is completely out of it. It would have been classed as an unnatural angle because the hand was up. It should have been a penalty. And then second half, as I wrote in the conclusions, <laughs> Emil Reese completely did himself there because if it had just took the contact and fell normally instead of going over the way he did, which was mm. sort of. Basically, I think he might have slipped in his slight defence there. Yeah, he was slipping, but he then basically threw his momentum forward and threw his arms out, and the referee just assumed dive. And we're going to talk a little bit about that on the Pippa Challenge, just to forewarn you. But <laughs> if it had just took that challenge normally, I think they would have got the penalty. So Town survived a couple of shouts, but to repeat myself again on something else I said on another pod, you do get those shouts when you're on a 13-game, 14-game unbeaten run going your way. It's when you're down amongst the dead men. That's the stuff you don't get away with. So, mm-hmm. you, you town are earning that luck, and it was... I, I just thought it was a very solid performance. I thought it was a different type yeah. of performance, very solid performance, and uh, you know, I was more your side than the other, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, where there was a problem was Sonani and Holmes both had yeah, quite yeah. quite poor games, especially Sonani. Um, so they they played. It was essentially. It's it's hard to sort of sometimes to to put Town into a conventional tactical notation because they will play one shape off the ball and one shape on it, which every team does to a certain extent. But with Town, it's it can be quite extreme, and they were sort of five four one off the ball and 4-3-3 on it which we've seen a few times this season um but Silver Thomas would would push onto the wing but when it was off the ball he'd come back and basically become the on the right side of the of the of a back five so the central midfielder in that um was Danel Sanani so he would play on the right wing off the ball Holmes was left wing and then when they're on the ball Sanani would sort of stay in central midfield and and Holmes went to the left wing and it it we've seen that before. We've seen Sonani played that role before, but for whatever reason, he just couldn't get to grips with it on Wednesday night. He was so every time he got the ball, he was really ponderous on it. And I'm not saying he's been brilliant constantly, but it was a particularly poor performance because every time he got on the ball, he was really ponderous. Preston had just closed him down. He was slowing down the play. He was way too casual on the ball. And then they they switched it at, at half time. 
to put Holmes in midfield and Sonani on the wing, and that worked better. So Carlos Corbran said after the game that they were struggling to get out of their own half in the first half, and then second half they were doing a better job at getting in, you know, getting into the opposition half, but then didn't know what to do in the final third. And I think Holmes did help them get, you know, at least get out of their own half, but I don't think he or Sonani particularly did them any favours in an attacking sense, which, to be honest, is primarily why you pick those two players. So that 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 was the big disappointment. So I can understand why fans who obviously want to see, you know, you and I look at things from a very different angle to fans in certain games, and this is certainly one of them, where you and I are going, well, that's a good result, it's a good point, it's a clean sheet. The fans are going, yeah, but we didn't threaten the goal. And I think that's completely fair enough, to be honest. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And I, I do wonder if we need to have a bigger conversation about Dan Elsonania, um, mm. because Town do have that option in the summer to to buy him and I think we are at a point now where we've seen enough to say there has been a lot more of the performances like Preston than there have yeah. been the other way he does a really good job in certain aspects for the team you can pull some stats out that prove he's he is they are a better defensive unit with him on the pitch but the yeah. problem is that's not primarily his job I mean you no. could argue it is under Carlos Corbran because that's how he <laughs> likes his his teams to play but you have to offer a little bit more than that and I think Dwayne Holmes has really shown this season that you can do both <laughs> yeah. you can you can provide an awful lot in attack and do all that work off the ball and that's perhaps why Josh Caroma is not in what we would both name as Carlos Corbran's best 11 right now so yeah I, I do wonder if we need to have a little bit of a bigger conversation about Daniil Sanani and if maybe for the rest of the season impacts up from the bench bear in mind some of the options town have got and have got coming in whether that might really be where he needs to be now I think when Andrin's back I don't think there's I, th- I think it's very difficult to find a place for Daniel Sanani in the do side. You, do you think, like, Andrin is obviously quite a flexible player, but he's done a lot of work for Chelsea on the left. So what would you mm. do, switch homes to the right and have Andrin left? This is the this is the issue, <laughs> is you, I think you need to have Sorba Thomas on the right wing. I think there's mm. there's no argument to say that it shouldn't be Sorba Thomas on the right wing. And if Pippa's fit, I think he plays either at right back or right wing back. So um, I think you're then looking at, for me, it's probably Andrin in central midfield um, alongside, you know, if you're playing a 4-3-3, then you, you play him alongside O'Brien and Hogg because we know that when it's a three, the that Hogg sits further back and, and we'll talk about that later as it comes to, to Sheffield United, but O'Brien and the other midfielder will basically push on and become number 10s anyway. So I think that, for me, that seems like the most natural place for him. But if you're playing a 3-4-3, then yeah, you, you probably put him on that left side, don't you? Inst- ahead of ahead of both Corona so right. and and uh, and and home. This is it. This is the slight. I mean, these are good problems to have. Don't get me wrong, but with Andrew, and it's like four three three. You've got to play him right of a three because the left hand side that's Lewis's space. Yeah. Three four three has to play on the left really because, as you said, you you've got to have Thomas and Pippa on that side in a three four three. It's it's difficult. It's not necessarily easy is it (laughs) with this town squad we had a lot of uh, even at the start of this season it was sort of quite easy to name what was going to be town's best team best 11 and I think over the rest of the season it actually becomes increasingly difficult and that probably leads us on to 
the team selection for Saturday. Yeah, predicted lineups are getting harder and harder. I mean, I got 18 out of 18 for, for Preston, which is which really doesn't happen very often. Be- before we move on, I do want to say, obviously, Dwayne Holmes has left out. I think Dwayne Holmes has had a, a good season overall and was going it was in good form going into that Preston game. You know, we talked about mm. he'd scored four in his previous six starts. And, you know, he's he's I think he's having a better season than most expected. He is quite inconsistent, though. Like, uh, I, I think that's probably partly he, a function of the positions he plays in. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the difference, well, the difference for me anyway is like Dwayne Holmes good and Daniel Sonani good yeah. are two very different levels, and exactly Dwayne Holmes bad and Daniel Sonani bad are two very different levels too. I I know who I would who I would put my yeah. stock in. Absolutely, yeah. I think Holmes is all the positions that Sonani plays. I would rather play Holmes there personally, <laughs> yeah. um, but. There you go. But yes, the team sheet for, for the Sheffield United game. I mean, it's not the one I, I, any of us expected. Um, but uh, and, and you and I before the game were sort of ruminating and going, oh, I'm not sure about this because we've seen Carlos Corbrand make these kinds of bold decisions before. And sometimes they've come off in a big mm. way and sometimes they've really backfired in a, back, in a big way. And we were a little bit nervous about that team sheet. So it was the four changes. So out came Turton, Toffolo, Sonani and Holmes. And in came Pippa, Caroma, Ruffles and Russell. So I think we were fine with Pippa, Caroma, Ruffles. Um, you and I have been, you know, obviously Pippa, we know his quality. Caroma, I think, given the rest of the lineup, it made sense to, to pick him uh, because you did need a, a play with a bit of an X factor. It didn't work out on the day, but I think the selection made sense on paper. Ruffles, you and I have been mm. big fans of since they signed him. Uh, from the scouting that we did, he looked like a really shrewd signing. And when, when they signed him, you and I said, he looks like he could replace Harry Tuffalo rather than be mm. back up to him. Russell was the one that we had misgivings about and we have already received messages from people who who have heard what those misgivings were last week. You and I sat here last week saying he's fifth or ch- sixth choice centre central midfielder, trying to sort of calm things down. And then, <laughs> of course, Carlos Gorbran picks him for a massive game, his first ever championship start, and also Josh Ruffles by the way um but uh he did really well on the day i mean we we have to we've already sort of given our misgivings about about i don't think it's that either of us think he's a bad player i think it's just that we're not quite as high on the hype as the fans are no. with him i think it's right to say but we have to give him his due he did really well in this game yeah he did and like i'm really glad the fans are as high on him as they are because that's good and that's yes exciting and it, it it's not that we're sitting here like being miserable and saying oh he's rubbish it's just that like the Barnsley performance you know the caveats we put in the Sheffield United performance I thought was I thought it was good but admittedly again I'm not quite as high on it as some I thought I thought he did really really well in certain situations but there was a 20 minute spell after half time where he just couldn't keep the ball um lost possession in that area of the pitch 12 times um and hog next to him only lost it five and took about a third more touches on the ball than than him so that's that's not to sort of be down on the performance or anything like that it's just that i think you have to remember this is still a young player who's got a lot to learn there are a couple of times he got caught on the turn there are a couple of times he was a little bit slow with the pass because championship football is not something you master in 90 minutes it's something you master in like 40 appearances 50 appearances it's 
it's difficult and what you do have with John Russell is like a mountain of potential quite literally yeah. looking at yeah. him he is gigantic but you just have a all the basic ingredients are there he's got very good range of passing very very good at receiving it on the back foot and and getting out of tight situations his pace is an issue there's no denying that but you look what he could do at set pieces um and he should have had a goal we'll we'll get on to that yeah you know all signs are very positive that there's there's a very good player there with the but I still don't think we were wrong, Steve. I still think once Andrew's in and you've got Iting in the mix, etc., I think it, it's like against Fulham. I don't know if he starts against Fulham. If if Carlos Coran goes a little bit of a different way, um, we'll we'll see. But it was it was certainly a very promising ninety minutes, and yeah. the, uh, you know the lad has got huge potential. Yeah, he does. I, I I thought it was a really good performance. I don't think it was just he's very calm on the ball. <laughs> you know, almost to a fault sometimes. But um, but he's also got there were some really nice passes he played for. So his first touch was just a sort of a little knock around the corner. The ball came to him up the by line uh sorry up the touch line and he just sort of knocked it with the outside of his foot round to Danny Ward and he's he's full of those little touches but he also played quite a few nice through balls for Sorba Thomas and I really wanted to go through and, and pick out some some stats for him but unfortunately it's difficult to because those kinds of passes only get recorded in Opta as you know key passes if the player then has a shot yeah. a lot of his passes through the lines were for Silver Thomas who would then cross so they don't sort of get registered in a way that's easily uh, accessible but there were quite a few of those passes he had the he's obviously a danger on on set pieces as you say he probably had a should have had a, a penalty given against him uh, but I think that's a I think you said you know you talk about the Tom Lee's handball and you described the uh, the the foul on Russell by uh, by Bogle as a VAR penalty and I think I feel the same way about the Tom Lee's one against Preston, the the handball. But uh, he was a, he was a real real handful. Uh, I think there was a moment as well that the fans absolutely loved, where he went charging through. This is where he makes up for his lack of pace. He went charging up the middle, and uh, and John Fleck basically jumped on his back and took a piggyback off him, mm. um, try try to win the ball off him because he just couldn't couldn't get round him. He just shielded the ball really well as he was carrying it. So I think there was a lot there to like, and you can see why fans like him. Um, but uh, I think it was the other thing that hadn't really occurred to me, and I can't remember if I put this in the conclusions or not. It hadn't really occurred to me how much better he would look if you had Lewis O'Brien alongside him because we've not seen him start with Lewis O'Brien we've seen either Russell come on the bench alongside O'Brien or the other way around in the FA Cup but we know that O'Brien does the work of two men off the ball Mm. for all we're praising John Russell I thought Lewis O'Brien was probably even better in the midfield I thought he was he was better yeah he was he he had a fantastic game he was you know he was he he was had an an absolutely outstanding game, but in that very Lewis O'Brien way, where he was just doing Lewis O'Brien things, and we've almost, mm-hmm. you know, we've I, we've come to expect it by now. Yeah, I I do think there's a reason for that though. I think the thing was they picked the right game to do this, and I mentioned this in yeah. the final whistle showing that when you have Russell who has to sit a little bit deeper because he can't gallop up the pitch in a sort of Lewis O'Brien fashion. One of the things we've been complaining about is Hogg has drawn Lewis yeah. O'Brien back because Lewis has been worried about the space. But when you what you had was you had 
Hoggy playing a different role. You had John Russell mm-hmm. sitting, but with a better range of passing. So Lewis, the, the space in front of John Russell, Lewis was happy to sort of patrol that, but he was also happy to wander beyond it because he felt that bit of safety with Hogg and Russell yeah. there to patrol it. So Town was sort of trying to play it out of their final third, but then there was almost like a trigger point where they would then try and go long or play the sort of 20, 30-yard pass rather than trying to build it through midfield to get Sorber and, and Pippa and, and everyone else going on the you know on the shoulder, which was I think is really good to see. It's not something town employ an awful lot because you do lose possession quite quite a bit. Just by nature. Not every ball's gonna come off and there was a couple that like town were just within that whisker of it of of it not paying off big time. So I think with Russell there you can play a slightly different way and I do think that's a big factor in why they look so good because I think just that slight tactical switch caught Sheffield United a little bit cold, you know. I don't think they were yeah. expecting that. I think they were expecting to just be able to get in shape and fend yeah. town off, and they couldn't do that. So I think Russell gives you another little bit of tactical flexibility as well. And again, I think that's why you... Like, we're not going OTT, but we're just trying to temper it slightly because I think there's some teams you just can't do that against because they'll just move into that space and they'll gamble putting men there. I think the the comment you and I both would make is I think springing him as a surprise in a game like this is different to when he's played five, ten games and people are expecting him to start. And the analysts have been watching him and what have you, yeah. Yeah. So, But that's the same as any player. Like, that's not a specific thing we're saying about And if he's going to have a career in professional football, he's got to cope with that himself. That's exactly what... That's the arc that Sorbers had to go through. That's the arc that Josh Caromas had to go through, isn't it? So, Yeah, exactly. But... I mean, we need to give, I think, a lot of praise for that selection. I think it. I mm. think everything that Carlos Corbran had in mind for that selection worked brilliantly. I thought it was. I thought, yeah, I, I thought every bit of it just did what it was meant to do. You had Pipper on the at right back, who obviously can bomb forward, and and we know what he can do. And he was able to play the the two the the line of four against a front two, which was absolutely disastrous against Reading for two reasons. One of them is he it wasn't really a four at all. Jonathan Hogg was dropping in and I thought that was a really good use of Jonathan Hogg that was his best performance of this calendar year um, and it meant that he could step out when the when the opportunity was there when when you got into the, the opposition half and he could step out and become an extra man in midfield but it also meant that you weren't leaving uh, Lees and Pearson two on two with Sharp and, and McBurney to be fair neither of them are as anywhere near as, as quick and penetrative as uh, as Luca Zhao and, uh, and George Puskas at, at Reading uh, they're different types of strikers both obviously excellent strikers but but different types of strikers the other thing is josh ruffles on that left side mm. you know you've commented to me before he helped out nabi sar enormously uh against against barnsley and burnley mm. and i think if you can help out nabi sar you can certainly help out tom lees <laughs> he's obviously is he's he's less i think he's a bit more in that specifically in that left back role more uh, disciplined than Harry Toffolo, who mm. is always sort of waiting for the opportunity to step forward. Um, and I thought Ruffles, again, another player making his first ever championship start, looked like he'd played 100 games for Dushield Town. He had a really good game. Yeah, he's he's more of a system player, Ruffles, definitely. You know, he, he wants to work within a framework and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think the highest compliment we could probably pay him is that I don't think there was any step up or step down from Harry Toffolo 
playing no. there. He just slotted in almost to the point where <laughs> you you slightly forgot it was Ruffles playing because it mm. was he did everything that was asked. I think one player I do just want to mention because um, you've mentioned him. Then I thought Tom Lees was absolutely magnificent yesterday. I thought he was utterly brilliant. There was a couple of blocks. There was a, a header late on a brilliant head clearance header. I, I thought he was superb Tom Lees and I know he's not going to get talked about in the player of the year uh, sort of lineup because Lee Nichols is obviously unbelievable yeah, Sorba Thomas O'Brien, has been Sorba. completely eye-catching mm-hmm. Lewis O'Brien is Lewis O'Brien but Lees has been he's been right, right up there his his level of consistency is just incredible and uh, like he's had uh, weirdly I would say he's had a slight wobble the last two games you know he could have quite easily conceded three penalties yeah. but he's just comes back as if absolutely nothing's happened and I just thought he was he was brilliant yesterday start to finish I thought Pearson had a really good game out, mm. out of the two so I, there was a, th- a thing I saw recently I think it was a piece on the Athletic about Vidic and Ferdinand and they were saying you need to have uh, the best centre-back pairings are a, a no-nonsense one and a and a, a smoother one and I think Town have got that with with Pearson and Lees or they have it with um with Pearson and Colwell, if if when Colwell's back, I do wonder, and we've not really had much of an answer to this, but I think there's maybe the but I it's hard to read the FA Cup selections. I do wonder if they do stick with a four and they need to, when Colwell's back, which hopefully will be against Fulham, although Carlos wouldn't uh, commit to that. I think he's learned not to try and put dates on on, on returns at this point, but Colwell should be back in training this week, so hopefully he'll be ready for Fulham. Who do you drop out of Pearson and Lees? And I genuinely am torn on it. I mean, on paper, I think you say probably you drop Pearson because I think Lees has more to his all-round game, but I can also... I wouldn't make that argument very strongly. And I, and if Carlos went with Pearson and put Lees on the bench, I would completely understand that. Yeah, I mean, they've both had a fairly metronomic level of fitness. They've both, you know, I know Pearson's had a couple of bouts of illness. I think Lees had a bout of illness as well. But it, it's very, very difficult. And, like, I don't know, these are good problems to have. These are good yeah. problems to have. I... I think in that specific instance, I think it depends a lot on the striker you're up against because, yeah. like, you can't really judge anything on Mitrovic next weekend because he's no. a Premier League striker. He's yeah. earning Premier League money. He's <laughs> without with without trying to say anything too wild, but you know, like, he's not testing himself in this league. He's a Premier League striker. There's a reason he's got 30 goals. That's because he could play at a higher level. So. You can't really judge anything on going up against him, but you look at other strikes in that league, as on Saturday, and you think, well, yeah, different combinations for different. If you if you've got if you're going to come up against a younger, you know, a younger, quick thinking, very fast centre forward, I think you have to have Colwell in there for his recovery pace. I think there's some games where you you may even consider not having Colwell, which is crazy when you're talking about a potential future England captain well that's something that we're yeah that we've that we've we were really worried when Colwell got injured and Mm. it became clear he was going to miss sort of five six games it was like oh they've struggled to cope with his absence before but they've they found a good way you know they found a way to do it they've they've kept four clean sheets in the last four games and yeah okay one of them was against Barnsley in the cup 
and Barnsley. I mind you, they beat QPR the other day. So, mm. um, and uh, you know, and one of them was against ten man derby. But still, they've also kept clean sheets against a good, very good Preston side and a very good Sheffield United side. Sheffield United have scored ten in their last five games. Yeah, you know, like that. I think, and I think it's actually. If you look that over since Heckenbottom's come in, I think they're averaging a couple of goals a game. So it's no mean feat to keep a clean sheet there at all. Yeah. I think the only other side who've done it since he's came in were Derby, and obviously Derby are a very specific set of circumstances. To be brutally honest with you, so yeah, yeah it, it's no it's no mean feat. And I think that to just go back to Ruffles a little bit, I think the good thing about Josh Ruffles is. He is more of a system player, so he can come in and he can play. I would wager he can put in exact same performance next to Tom Lees as he can next to Levi Colwell, as mm. he could in truth next to anyone else, because he just wants to go about his business in a sort of, <laughs> you know, quietly effective way that benefits the system. And I think that's great. And I think, like, let's be honest, Harry Toffolo getting dropped yesterday which is what it it was yep. he was he was dropped you can't frame it any other way has been a little bit of a while coming because he's not been in great yeah. form and we've discussed it at various points and there have been games where he's looked a little bit back to himself but he's been sort of wandering forward into space he's not really had enough intent in his game and to be honest with you I don't see any reason why you would necessarily now say Harry Toffolo is undroppable and has to start every game which again mm. Is an unthinkable situation over, you know, compared to last season, isn't it? But yeah. that is that is the reality now, and I think Toffolo really has got to has got to up his level a little bit because there is serious serious competition there that side now. I really think that his performance against Reading probably made up Gorbrand's mind that if he was going to play a four against a two, even even knowing that Hogg was going to drop in, if he was going to play that system against Sheffield United, it had to be Ruffles and not Toffolo. Particularly when you got Pippa the other side as well, yeah. who, who I mean, we Pippa, know wants yeah. to play. He wants to play 10 yards ahead of the defence, but <laughs> you need he's, to give him a bit more license to because to be frank he's a bit better doing it yeah he's and he's much better generally speaking much better tracking back his mm. tracking back is excellent he gets he's so quick he can get in position um even if he does you know at maraud upfield he's much better able to to get back and, and cover that space um but no, I mean, go, going back to, to Corbran, I mean, it, you to say you and I were sitting there going, not sure about the selection, and it to sort of, I thought that was one of the best balanced team performances of the season, and the fact it didn't result in, in the three points is largely down to all that, that look we've talked about over the past few weeks sort of came back on them in this one game. There were three incidents where they probably should have had at least a penalty, if not a goal. I think the having watched that Ward instant many, many times, I think the right call on that probably is he is offside as much as he doesn't intend to be in and knows nothing about it. He is offside and interfering with play. So you probably give a foul against um, against Baldock for his foul on Ward and it's a penalty. I don't think you can give the goal by the letter of the law, as, as unjust as that seems. Uh, but... And, and I mean, do we want to talk about that instant, Dave? Or I think everyone's on the same page already, aren't they? Yeah, uh, I've got a. Um, we re- we recorded a little bit of how the sausage is made. We're currently recording this on a Sunday lunchtime. I've got a piece going up this afternoon, which is just literally cribbing pundits who are on TV watching the game, who are all in universal agreement that if it's not a goal, it's a penalty. There is no scenario other than one in the referee's mind where it ends up being a. Um, being a free kick on the for a foul on the goalkeeper, the one thing I would say there is 
like we always criticize refs or we try not to we very rarely go into like refereeing decisions and we really try not to go into officials but he's had absolutely no help from his linesman then because yeah. I've watched it back a couple of times and his linesman's looking clear across and there's nobody in the way of the pull on ward so I know he can't see everything and cover everything but at the same time one or the other should be catching that if I'm brutally honest even if they're not, they should be weighing the odds up as to why is Danny Ward on the ground like that behind the goalkeeper? Like, what positive action can he take? What is the gain for him for to put himself in that position? Absolutely none. So he's clearly been rolled there. But yeah, yeah. It's a bad one. The second one, the pull. Again, there was universal agreement it's a penalty, but I am with you. I do think that's a VAR penalty. I don't think you get get them given in the championship i don't I, think i don't think any of us in the press box saw that live we all just saw it on the telly afterwards yeah and, and i think that it's one of it's one of them i hate like i don't want to talk in cliches but i think if they bought var into the championship tomorrow that's a penalty you would see in every other game for the first month to six weeks like you saw mm. when it came into the premier league where because if you look at the moment in a championship box at a corner i would say if you look hard enough a good third to half of them you're probably going to find something that you could justifiably say okay that's a penalty but you have to look for it you see and that's what that's the difference isn't it so mm. yes it's a penalty but I completely understand why it why it isn't given but then the third one you have your view and then I'll have <laughs> mine I think it's I think it's a foul twice <laughs> I think it, it's um it's who is it it's Egan and Robinson isn't it yes and it's Robinson is the one who gets nutmegged yeah and they're coming in from either side there's maybe a touch on the ball for the first challenge but then the player I think it's Robinson comes from the other side and just basically just kicks him in the ankle mm. and and to me I th- I thought it was yeah I, I I'll hand on heart in the ground I didn't think it was a penalty I thought it was a dive <laughs> But then when I've seen the replays, I've gone, oh, that's a cast iron penalty, probably twice. And I think that might lead into what you're about to say, I imagine. This is the problem with it. I, I've I've watched it this morning. Like I've watched the whole game again on basically times two speed and picking out various instants and slowing it down to watch them properly. And basically, like the Emil Reese problem in the week, it's Pippa does it to the same degree. He the first challenge comes in and there's not really enough contact there because I think mm. they both touch the ball pretty much at the same yeah. time. It's tight. There's no definitive angle that proves that. So if if town fans want to prove, you know want to argue with me on that, Back I'm not going to gonna argue with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. But the second one, the contact comes in. It's clear contact. The ball has gone through his legs, so it's a penalty. But the problem is the contact comes. And Pip doesn't actually go until just after the contact. And then if you look, he flicks his leg up and goes down. And the problem is, it's that thing about just take the contact naturally and go down and you get the penalty there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But when you play for it and you flick the leg up and you roll round as you're doing it, effectively so you can look at the referee to see if he's going to give it, you're doing yourself no favours. And... In ground, you weren't the only one. There was a couple of people in the press box because there was a little bit of debate as to whether it was a dive or not. And the problem is you have to understand that we're then looking at replays and going, okay, there's likely two points of contact there. The second one is certainly enough toward the penalty. It should be a penalty. But if the player frames it like that, 
the referee is watching it real time and has only got one chance to make yeah. a decision. So again, like VAR undoubtedly gives that penalty, but at the same time, it's a classic case of one thing can can be can, yeah. that two things can be true at the same time, which is exactly the same as Lee's on Reese. It can be a penalty and it can be a dive at the same time, and that's mm. in all honesty, that's what I thought. It was, and there's no doubting it should have been a penalty. There's no doubt in VAR awards it, but also in my mind, unfortunately, the the single biggest reason it's not being given is the way Pippa chooses to go down and just flick his leg back out. And and I I do wonder if he's earned a bit of a reputation for doing that as well. Well, uh, he does he does have a tendency. I'll be honest to. Um, listen, I don't I don't know I I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily think that if I'm brutally honest, but I could totally see it. What I would say is that referees talk mm-hmm. and Town have just got away with three pretty cut and dried, certainly two of them, the the, the two tackles from Lees, maybe not the handball, but yeah. the two tackles from Lees were pretty cut and dried. You do wonder if the referee had his in his mind, you know... It, it <laughs> Not a levelling up process, but almost an unconscious bias, essentially, because mm. it's it, they're humans, and that's human nature. So the Barnsley disallowed goal as well. Yeah, yeah, it it's just, and this isn't some overarching conspiracy or anything like this. This isn't a <laughs> conscious thing. It's just subconscious feeling. But I do, I do think Pippa has done himself out of that penalty himself. If I'm brutally yeah. honest, I wouldn't for a second debate whether it was a penalty or not. It was, but I'm saying. It, take the con- yeah. I think I think if Danny Ward is in that situation he would go down a different way and get the penalty there if I'm brutally yeah. honest that said Town could have got all three penalties <laughs> and missed all three so yeah and, and that's a very real and very worrying scenario for Huddersfield <laughs> Town fans I yeah I thought it was a really good performance on the whole though I thought they deserved more um they <laughs> They owe a lot to Lee Nichols that they still got out of it with a point and a clean sheet. Uh, it was a brilliant save, and it was one of those saves where you're almost not sure if it was a save because you. I had to convince someone in the press box. No, he did actually get a hand to it. Um, do you right on honest thing on that save specifically? Do you think he stuck the foot out to divert the ball away after deliberately? Because no. again, I <laughs> you see, I've watched it this morning, Steve. Like. I've watched it five or ten times, and I don't for a second think he thinks, oh, the ball is there, I'm going to raise my foot and clear it out of the area. But as it comes back, there's a very clear and distinct reaction, I think, just like a complete instinct reaction just to to try and get something on the ball. And I I think it... it might be deliberate, mm. which makes it even better in my there humble. He's having a brilliant season. I mean, yeah. he's he's a player we don't talk about a lot because it's hard to sort of talk about. <laughs> it's hard to put much analysis on goalkeepers, particularly when it's so obvious that that they're doing so well. But I mean, he's got the most clean sheets in the championship, despite the fact that Town don't have a particularly brilliant goals against record. It's perfectly good, don't get me wrong, but it's you know it's not amazing. But yeah. the clean sheet record, he's got the most of anyone in the in the division. He's absolutely deserved it. Uh, I think he's he dominates his box. It's everything we've said a million times before. You know, he's he, he Carlos after the game was talking about there are games where you need him to make loads of saves and he doesn't like those. And there's games where he doesn't need to make loads of saves and and those are the ones he likes. And and it was one of those games yesterday. That was really the only massive moment 
where he had to, you know, was massively forced into action. But the way that he just controls his box, when a ball goes in, you just know he's going to claim it. Mm. <laughs> and, and you know, you and I had the discussion. Can you think of a time where Lee Nichols has made an error this season? Um, like a, a serious mm. error. And the only ones we could think of were he went for a punch and didn't get to it in one of his first yeah, appearances. Yeah, I think, I think it might have actually been his first game. It was late on in the game and he came out and completely missed the ball, basically. And I think it was Lee's just swept up and it was it was dealt with. And the only other one I could think of was letting the ball go under his foot against Forrest, mm. um, which he then uh, ran back and, and stopped it from going in. And that's it, the entire season. Um, he's, he's having such a, a brilliant campaign. He's such a key player for Huddersfield Town. Um, and, yeah, I think there's, there's not really much more we can add to that unless you've got something, Dave. No, I've I've got a piece going up on him first thing tomorrow morning. Um, well, just with some quotes and and some stats. Really, he's he's second in the league for save percentage, and uh, the the lad who's ahead of him, Hull's keeper, has played less than half the amount of time in the first team. But it's Nichols' level of consistency is is quite remarkable, really, and. It, like I often get a comment or two that we can be um, too easy on the club in some respects. I don't think we are. I think we're just analytical. So where people want us to weigh in on certain things, we have to sit, look at the whole picture. I think the recruitment team deserve a lot of praise for their work over the summer. But with Lee Nichols to get a keeper who wasn't even making the MK Dons bench at times last season, I think it's quite remarkable to now have genuinely a top three keeper in the league by the metrics by which they're measured. That is a remarkable piece of work to pick that player up for a free. Um, it was it was head of goalkeeping. Paul Clements was was the man who brought his name. Good from old Clem. Yeah, good old Clem. Um, and there are. Don't get me wrong. Me and you both think he needs to work on his distribution. And I thought he was better. Uh, yeah, actually. I think he is getting better. Generally, I think he needs to work on that. But yeah, he's he's just what you the the very best keepers you don't even think about <laughs> that's yeah. the thing isn't it you don't even think about you just trust them to do your job and i think yeah. that's where we are with lee nichols yeah yeah absolutely i mean we could keep going on naming individuals for this game i i think the where things did fall apart a little bit unfortunately was josh Caroma and he's a player that we've been quite critical of this season and it's almost at a point where it's like oh, I feel like we're singling out Josh Caroma for criticism quite a lot this season but I think this game it's kind of unavoidable um I think you had it spot on when you said to me he had all mostly had the right ideas there was one move where they got sort of a four on one with him being on the ball and three runners ahead of him and he didn't even look up and see what was ahead of him um and I thought that was poor because they if he'd played any of those players in it's a goal but other than that he had the right ideas he was getting in the right positions he was trying the right things they just his touch just wasn't there his final ball just wasn't there it was just one of those days for him and it it happens you know you see Mo Salah will have hours of games where where he's like that it's a sort of a hazard of the job for for a winger so we're not sort of getting on at him but yeah I think that that was a large part of the reason that Town didn't find that breakthrough because a lot of their movement unlike against Preston you know I think the reason why we and the fans are so much more encouraged by this Sheffield United game despite the fact that the XG is only about half a goal is because there were lots of moves that didn't result in shots Mm. as we mentioned earlier but easily could have done 
if that final ball had just been right. Yeah, it's also the Russell thing that you we were talking about playing that ball over a little bit more distance. There are a couple of times where they were just within a fine margin of it really coming off big time. Sheffield but, United defended really well, I would yeah, say as well. Their centre-backs yeah. were excellent on the day. I think there's a couple of things with Karoma. I think he... I don't think the system suit gets the best out of him, if I'm brutally honest, but this is the system that Huddersfield yeah. Town now plays, so he needs to adapt. But also, I think he's a confidence player, and he's not, you know, his his level of confidence is not where it needs to be no. at the moment. You can see us taking one touch too many. Ev- Precisely. Every the, Barnsley the, ball, game, the Barnsley game was the epitome of a player who is just desperate to try and score by any means possible just because he thinks that's going to magically bring back all his... That's going to restore all his power. And like a lot of people, we copped a little bit of flack for points for saying it was an infuriating performance because a lot of people saw a player really trying and really trying to get something from the game whereas we saw somebody taking a lot of shots from a lot of angles and a lot of positions where it was just never gonna it was never gonna happen I I think Karoma's good enough to to come again it's not like it we're worried it's a long-term problem or anything like that is it he's he's a very very good Mm. footballer I think I think it's I don't know. I, I think it it kind of is a long-term problem over the course of the season. I think he has had a lot of performances like this this season, in truth, where last season he, he, he was just playing very instinctively. As you say, it's the confidence thing. I think I said this to someone. Do you think someone, it's the system? I think it's partly that, but I think it's also... I said to someone yesterday, he had a really good season last year and that applied both sides of his injury because he came back from his injury and, and you know it was like he hadn't been away. He was scoring again. But I think... I think we kind of forget that he, before this season, had, what, about 20 championship starts under his belt? Genuinely, something something like that number. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Um, he's played something like 50, 60 games at this level um, altogether, so maybe a bit more than that. But in terms of starts, it won't be more than that, certainly. No. He's... Come from non-league, he's 23 years old, just turned in November. Well, I suppose that's four months ago now. But he's a, he's a young player who's still learning his way at this level. And I think you need to expect a certain level of rawness and inconsistency out of him. I think that's only natural. 56 championship games, there you go, including appearances from the bench. So I think it's natural it would take him a bit of time to, to learn this level um, and that he might have dips like this. He is a bit of a... He's not a precision tool. He's a bit of a blunt instrument. He's he's the kind of player who you probably need to give him four or five shots before he'll get a goal but he'll just keep trying and hammering away um but I think he was the right, as I said earlier, the right selection for this game on paper because when you look at what was behind him and what was either side of him, you needed to have that player who had that goal threat in this side because otherwise I think there's a risk that, particularly with Ruffles behind him, there's a risk that it becomes a bit um, everyone doing their jobs, everyone's working the system but no one is doing anything out of the ordinary and, and you know and unexpected. So I think it was the right decision to keep him in um, rather than Dwayne Holmes who... Uh, who is a bit more of a system player but um yeah it, it just wasn't his day no it wasn't it wasn't but i, I think he'll have others i think i yeah I, like he firstly he's, he's 23 till he's 24 that's a fact steve um mm-hmm. but you're exactly right he's a young player he has he has got to learn a little bit and i think we were worried that 
not that Carlos Corbin had given up on him, but we were worried that his work off the ball was really costing him in Corbin's yeah. mind for a while. I think he's working really hard to try and put that right, and I yeah. think it's perhaps costing the other side of his game a little bit at the moment. But I, I still think there's time for him to find the balance. Yeah, I think he's sort of, unlike other players, maybe like that discussion we had about Sonani earlier, where we're saying maybe it's time for him to have a spell out the side. I think, and we've said this before, we've been saying it all season to be fair, Karoma is, is the kind of player who you, you just persist with him because yeah. you, you yeah, just yeah, feel yeah, like 100%. there's a, you just feel like there's a chance that he'll finally hit hit that run, get his confidence going, and then he'll score four in seven. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, as I say, maybe when Andrian is available, that becomes a different discussion. But for the time being, I think for games like this, you need to have him. I, I think, I thought the front three all did their, in terms of the runs they were making and things like that, were, were excellent. I thought Danny Ward, particularly first half, had a really good game. I, I, if there were two players I was a bit harsh on, it was probably Danny Ward and Sorba Thomas. But I just felt like I couldn't give them more than a six. Um, which is, again, to reiterate, an above-average mark, just because I feel like you need to have a, an end product before you can... You know, you need a goal or an assist before you can, uh, before I can put them higher, and maybe that's a bit harsh on Sorba Thomas in particular, given that he basically did have an assist, but it was uh, unfairly yeah. ruled out by the officials. But, I mean, the big thing out of this game for me is it, it, it was a very, very convincing display against a very, very good side who are going to be right up there in the promotion picture. You're going to think, you must think, on, on current form. They came in off the back of four consecutive wins, Sheffield United. So to come out of that game saying, do you know what, they're really unlucky not to get a win there, gives me an enormous amount of heart going into knowing that they've still got games against other big teams, other promotion chasers still to come. Because coming into this game, I was like, mm, I'm not convinced that they're going to get those two or three wins they need from those games against the big boys after that game i'm now feeling yeah why can't they yeah uh, it fulham feels like a bit of a free hit but it's mm. a lovely game to bounce out of this into that one because I, yeah it uh, i think you have to change things against fulham because i i think they i think if you played that way against fulham i would really worry about that that gap you leave they're between. so quick aren't they yeah you know, they'll, they'll spin you around yeah as if you leave a gap like that in the pitch it will only take them 15 minutes before they realize it and then really work on exploiting that for the next 75 so i think you you have to be very careful but i don't i said on i said on extra time i don't think even the death star had an exhaust port that was uncovered i think there are ways you can hurt fulham i think there are and i think teams have and they've got over yeah. that spell of they had that month where they were just battering teams like left right and center they're sort of over that they've settled a bit so i th- i think town can hurt them but like i said we said we had a chat about it yesterday and the thing we said that town can't do is go and lose like six nil and i don't think they will i think if they lose two nil at fulham with their resources i think you go okay (laughs) okay that's fine it's not that it's not that fulham are unbeatable it's that if they play their best they will beat anyone in this division yeah it's it like you don't need to read soconomics to work out that a wage bill that I would say conservatively is probably about five times that of Huddersfield Town should win on the mm. day. That's just the reality. But I think the difference is that I think the way Town set up and the way they play, I don't think they need to go into that game with a massive amount of fear. 
it's a free hit in terms of just go into it, be tight, be compact, play how you want to play, and yeah, who knows really? Who knows? I, I genuinely, there's certain games where we always go into a game as a writer and you think what you're trying to think what is the tone going to be of this piece mm. afterwards win lose or draw and i feel like with this game coming up unless they lose as you say 5-0 or 5-1 again and even to be honest even it kind of almost even if they do it's like look this season is not going to be defined yeah it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter that like if if fulham do win 5-1 it'll be because fulham have played brilliantly in all likelihood mm. and I don't know. I always feel like just going to this game, and I know this never works because we say this every time we say this about a game, we say it's a free hit, and then they lose. The fans are still as annoyed as if they're just, you know, lost to the bottom side. It's it's natural, but uh, yeah, for for me as as a as a sort of you know invested neutral, as we always call ourselves, I'm just looking at that game, thinking, don't put too much stock in no. in in that result. But if they do get a draw or a win, brilliant. That is a massive, massive massive result if they can get anything at Craven Cottage I mean you look at we came away from that that draw against Sheffield United going oh I don't think that that point does much for either side and then we saw the results that came in on Saturday afternoon I mean QPR lost to Barnsley Um, you know Forrest and Stoke drew that Bryce Sambrinston is the best thing I've seen all season by the way Uh, that was brilliant Um, so that they both drop points Um, West Brom and Blackburn play each other on Monday night so at least one of them is going to drop points maybe both of them in midweek Coventry drew QPR and Borough drew with each other West Brom lost as you said it seems like every time town drop points they get away with it it feels like they've been fifth for about 12 years at this point they had they they whiffed an entire month in November and it didn't really cost them so I I don't think me or you are quite believers in terms of playoffs yet because there's still a lot of football to be played and there's a lot of teams to be frank like there's a lot of games in hand to be played that town can't do anything about that's the issue there at the moment after those results as, as high as we are on those results their points per game as it stands would put them most seasons just below the playoff places so yeah which they do would need be to make, fine <laughs> they they do yeah this is it we do need to keep saying it would be fine it's still a great season considering the expectations we had but uh yeah yeah I, I, it, but they keep you know they whiffed an entire month they they don't seem to be suffering when they do uh go through a little patch and that as i said i, I don't think either of us are quite believers yet but if you were looking for signs that's certainly a very <laughs> a very positive one that regardless they just keep finding a way to stay in touch and that's a very healthy habit <laughs> to have developed isn't it and in fairness they are 14 unbeaten it's not like exactly. it's, not, it's yeah. not like they've just lost six you know they've um you know they've still been picking up points even when um <sighs> Games where they've not been at the best, they've picked up points. Games where they've been at the best, <laughs> like mm. like that game uh, against Sheffield United, and, they haven't got the win. But you know, and you've got to look, like in terms of positive science, you've got to look at the squad as a whole at the moment as well. We've just spent a whole podcast basically breaking down a lot of player by player positions from a game. They've got so many options on the bench now. Carol Iting didn't feature at all against Sheffield United. Mm. They I think it was I can't remember who didn't get against Preston, but basically one sort of big 
first team player doesn't feature in every game. They've got Tino Andrin to, to come back. They've got players developing on the fringes, the likes of Scott High, etc. This is the healthiest position Huddersfield Town have been in. Take the league completely out of it. Take the 14-game unwritten run completely out of it. This is the healthiest position Huddersfield Town have been in since me and you took over this podcast, Steve, right now. And mm-hmm. that's quite remarkable really that's quite remarkable and it's also it's it's there's been a lot of long-term work that has gone into it but it's also happening in a far shorter time frame than i think even me or you realistically expected it to happen oh absolutely um, so you've got to you know you've just got to enjoy the ride a little bit at the minute haven't you and games like fulham if you lose you lose <laughs> if you lose you lose it shouldn't detract from all of the other good stuff is the thing isn't it that's why it feels slightly free hit to me if i'm honest also the fact that their games after that are cardiff birmingham and peterborough um yeah. which are all games you'd expect them to win so yeah i don't, that... I don't think they win they will win all three because it, you know that that is never how it works but they're all winnable games in isolation yeah and that cardiff game five pound on the day or whatever it is yeah. it should be packed again it's half term you know yeah. quite right they're quite right in saying the kids don't have to go to bed just try and get down and enjoy it you know if, if you never know in football what's around the corner and things could go the wrong way before the end of the season who knows you have to live in the moment so it's what it's it's worth just enjoying where they are right at this minute yeah there we go i'm on holiday now i'm going to edit this stick it out i think we've said yesterday so many times that i'm just gonna to have to put it out on sunday dave um, <laughs> but um no i'm on holiday until the fulham game so i'll be back that morning uh for, for that game but dave will take you through the rest of the week so get following at david hartrick on twitter uh for all your updates at examiner hdafc as well uh people should probably buy your book as well i reckon dave yes yeah silver linings on bobby robson's england but yes you have me this week so i look forward to lots of the has anybody got mel boob's number in the comments on articles and when is stephen chicken back again question mark in the other ones i look forward to a lot of that this week beautiful always nice and uh, yeah we'll see you next time thanks for joining us as ever goodbye we are, we are.